Well, good morning again. What a beautiful group of people you are this morning. It's wonderful to have you here uh, this morning for worship. And, you know, some days you come in and it's kind of rainy outside or, you know, it's, since it's February, it's snowing or the weather is just kind of interesting or whatever. And, and what's amazing to me is sometimes the weather just really affects my mood. And so, and I, I know that's true for a lot of us. So we come in and, you know, some days you just feel like it's, everybody's just kind of there and they're just kind of just there, you know. And you come in on mornings like this morning, you got people that are just saying, hey, how are you doing? Big smiles on your face. The sun is shining. Just what an awesome day. And I, I can tell that you guys are just, you're just excited to be here this morning, aren't you? Amen. Absolutely. Yeah. And I am excited to be here too. I am excited to be here too because what an amazing church God has put together here, huh? I mean, turn, turn to the person next to you and just say, how did you get here? And I say that kind of as a joke, but I also say that somewhat true in, in the grain of truth because, you know, I just, I love, I love this idea that God, when God is the thing that we have in common, it, it brings people together from all different places, all different walks of life, different stories, different personalities, different things. Um, but what I love about this group of people is the fact that God and, and Jesus Christ and the power of all that he's done, all that we're about to celebrate in less than 40 days through uh, Good Friday and Easter. That's what holds us together, and I love that fact about us, and I am excited to be here with you for that reason, but I'm also excited to be here with you this morning because God is on the move. Amen? Amen. All right, now, if you're new and you've never been here before and you hear me say that, you're probably thinking one of two things. All right, maybe if, you, if you've been here before, you're like, amen. That gets me really excited. Nothing could be more true because you know what it means. But if you're joining us here for the first time this morning and God is on the move... I, Maybe if you're, you're not really familiar with that phrase, you're thinking, wait a minute, I thought God was everywhere. Is God boxing up all of his stuff and moving somewhere? I mean, what, what does this mean, right? What we mean when we say that is that God is here. God is here and God is doing things. When we come together, when we worship, when we gather to spend time together, it's not just so we can sing a bunch of cool songs. It's not so we can sit in these extremely comfortable chairs in this extremely comfortable gymnasium, right? I mean... We don't make people get here at 6.30 in the morning to start setting up all of this stuff, which let's give them a round of applause, by the way. We don't ask them, or the polite term is, we don't invite them to come do that uh, because we're just here to go through the motions. We believe that God is here, and we believe that God has something that he wants to say to us this morning. And if you were here last week for us, the story of Esther, then maybe you got that sense. We spend a lot of time talking about this idea that a lot of the stuff that we go through isn't just an accident. I'm not saying that God creates a lot of the, the circumstances that happen in our lives, the bad things. I mean, the world is just a, it's just a crazy place. But the thing is that God uses those situations in our life. And he takes even these broken things, these things that don't make any sense to us, and he turns them and uses them for his glory. And the best part is that we get to be transformed in the process. And so as we talked about Esther last week, we talked this idea for such a time as this, right here, right now, God has created you for this moment. And as we were wrapping up our service last week with this, with this story of Esther and this exciting truth that God is exploring, you know, God decided to give us a pep talk through a little guy named Kid President. And I love that video so much that I just thought, in case you missed it last week, I mean, I just owe it to you to show it to you again. So... Brace yourselves for a little pep talk from a guy I like to call the kid president. Let's take a look. 
think we all need pep talk. The world needs you to stop being boring. Yeah, you. Boring is easy. Everybody can be boring. But you're gooder than that. Life is not a game, people. Life isn't a cereal either. Well, it is a cereal. And if life is a game, aren't we on the same team? I mean, really, right? I'm on your team. Be on my team. This is life, people. You got air coming through your nose. You got heartbeat. That means it's time to do something. A poem. Two roads diverged in the woods, and I took the road less traveled. It hurt, man! Really bad. Rocks, thorns, and glass. My pants broke. Wah! Not cool, Robert Frost. But what if there really were two paths? I won't be in the one that leads to awesome. It's like that dude Journey said. Don't stop believing. Unless your dream's stupid. Then you should get a better dream. I think that's how it goes. Get a better dream and keep going. Keep going, keep going, and keep going. Will Michael Jordan have quit? Well, he did quit. No, he retired. Yeah, that's He retired. But before that, in high school, what if he quit when he didn't make the team? He would have never made Space Jam. And I love Space Jam. What will be your Space Jam? What will you create will make the world awesome? Nothing if you keep sitting there. That's why I'm talking to you today. This is your time. This is my time. It's our time. We can make every day better for each other. But if we're all on the same team, let's start acting like it. We got work to do. We can cry about it, or we can dance about it. We were made to be awesome. Let's get out there. I don't know everything. I'm just a kid. But I do know this. Because everybody's doing to give the world a reason to dance. So get to it. You've just been pep-talked. Yeah, you can clap for that. Absolutely. God uses anything to speak to us. I'm, I'm not kidding. Maybe it's our stories. Maybe it's our experiences. Maybe it's a kid dancing on a football field. Um, but here's the question I want to ask this morning, because you can watch something like that, right? I love how he says, don't cry about it, dance about it. I love that. And he talks about how it's our, our job to give the, the world a reason to dance. That's what it means, and that's that's what God's trying to do through us, a community like this, right? But the question I have for you is, if you watched that video last week, how did it go? How, how did it go? Did you give the world a reason to dance? Because there's a reality, I think, when we watch videos like that, that we have to remember, right? It's so easy when you have the music playing and you're watching it and you're just passively sitting in your chair to think, yeah, I can do that. I can do something awesome. Watch, here I go. Let me do my awesomeness, Right? And then you get out there and the inspiring preacher isn't around anymore. The video isn't playing and, and so it's a little bit harder to do that. Especially when maybe we're in a place and uh, we're in a, in a season of life where things aren't really going that well anyway. I mean, what if you're in a season where you don't feel like making your own version of Space Jam? Whatever that would look like, Right. What, what if you're reading Robert Frost and he's talking about these two roads and 
there's one that's traveled a lot and one that's less traveled. And you say, I, I don't want the world that's less traveled. I mean, I'm not naive enough to think that all of us in this room are all happy and smiling and having the perfect weekend right now. Maybe you're not having the perfect season of life and maybe, in fact, it's a lot harder than, than you would prefer it to be. How do we believe that God is on the move then? How do we believe that God is here and that God wants to do things? That God is a part of this, that God is active in our lives and even though we may not see it at all, how do we understand that God is working out His plan anyway? Well, this morning I want to take some time and I want to look at a story of a guy named Nehemiah. And if you uh, have your story Bibles, I th- you can open to page 295. Because I think Nehemiah has got something to share with us and we're going to start at Nehemiah 1, chapter 1. And, and before we kind of dig into this text this morning, though, I want to let you know, I just think there's some, a couple things that we need to pay attention to. I mean, we're 21 weeks into this, this sermon series of going through the Bible. And I've got to tell you, today is the last day of the Old Testament and I'm kind of excited about it. Anybody else excited that we're wrapping up the Old Testament, right? Because it's been week after week after week of people, just God's people just blowing it, just completely dropping the ball left and right, right? And I'm also excited about it because, you know, there, there aren't going to be as many hard names to pronounce and all these stories that just don't seem to make any sense. And these questions that are really tough to answer, like, why all the violence, God, right? But as, as we come to this, I think the toughest part for me has been realizing that the characters that represent us in this story, they're, they're the ones that are having the hard time. This story isn't about us. This story is about God, and as we look at Nehemiah today, you have to remember that. All right? Because the, the awesome part is, the positive part is, no matter how many times we screw up, God doesn't just hit the delete button. Right? If he hasn't hit the delete button on the nation of Israel by now, then maybe he's not going to, and maybe we have a shred of hope in living our lives for God because he doesn't just hit the delete key. Instead, he extends grace to us. And sure, he refines these people through some pretty harsh discipline, if I may say so. But God's got a plan. God is on the move, no matter what it feels like. And so as we dive into this story this morning, a couple other things that we should know. One is that Nehemiah is in the town of Susa, and we'll put the map up on the screen of the nation of Babylon, it's one of the main cities. In fact, it's where the king is. And we also need to know that Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king. So he's got the high-level security clearance. And although he's a Jew, for some reason, God, and it started with Esther last week, and it's continuing right on through this week, God is turning this place around, and God is beginning to rebuild his nation. In fact, as we're going to see, and we saw a couple weeks ago, God sent people back to start building the temple. And he sent some other people now, and now he's getting ready to send some more people. And so because of this, God is on the move, and God has already sent Esther back, loaded with the king's money, the king's resources, and a couple thousand of the king's prisoners, these Israelites, all returning back. And so here's Nehemiah, he's sitting in in his uh, cushy job next to the king. I mean, he's a cupbearer. I think all he has to do is hand the guy his drink. I'm pretty sure that's, uh, that's his whole job. And it really seems like as he's sitting there, you know, things are really going well for the Israelites. But as, as the reports begin to trickle in, as the reports become back, come back to Nehemiah about what's really going on, things begin to take a different turn. And so if you've got your, your Bibles open, let's look at Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. It's the top of 295. In the month of Kislev in the 20th year, 
Well, I was in the citadel of Susa, again, that town in Babylon that we're talking about. One of my brothers came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived in the exile, about the Jerusalem. I mean, he's sitting there, and he's doing his job and doing all these things, but Nehemiah wants to know, what's going on? What's going on with my people? I'd really, tell me, you guys, tell me, let me know, give me the whole story. And so in verse 3, they respond. And they give him some news that's just going to turn his world upside down. They said to me, Nehemiah writes, those who have survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And if you're Nehemiah and you have such high hopes for this nation, you're, you're tired of living in Babylon, right? You haven't been home for a long time. All you want to do is go back. You want to see things just the way they were. And when you get this kind of news... I mean, as I read that, you can almost hear Nehemiah's heartbreak. And as we pick it up in the next verse, that's exactly what happens. He says, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. And so we come to that cheery question I had you think about, and I'm sure I coughed up for some of you memories of teenage dances and high school romances or whatever, but... This, this question that we reflected on this morning, when was the last time you had your heart broken? Because Nehemiah has just had his heart broken. And as I was thinking about this this week, I mean, when, when was the last time? I mean, I started thinking about eighth grade. I got invited. To, I asked this girl to go to the dance, and she called me up the, I don't know, an hour before. She said, yeah, I, I'd rather just meet you there. I don't, I don't really want to go with you. And I was like... Actually, I was kind of dense, and I didn't really get it. I'm like, okay, I'll meet you there, and we can just spend the entire time. And she's like, no, I, I think I'd just rather go by myself, right? Heartbroken when that finally sunk in as I took the flowers that I got her and threw them in the trash. I mean, right? But I, And that was a while ago, and obviously you can tell I'm still kind of working through that a little bit. But <laughs> Right? But we all have those things we're working through, and, and I couldn't really think of anything lately. And until I got an email uh, from a friend in California at the church that, that I worked at this last year as an intern pastor. And, uh, and it, I got the news that just pretty much brought tears to my eyes. It was that my, uh, my friend Helen at this church, she had died. Uh, she'd passed away. And the thing you have to know about Helen is she was one of those people that I would call a hero of the faith. She was 92 years old, Right? still driving her car around in L.A. freeways in traffic, okay? 92 years old. This woman was amazing. And the best part was Helen could preach, and she didn't even have to use her words. She gave everybody hugs, right? And, you know, you, we've all seen those cute little old ladies, right? That are kinda, and they just seem like they're so, you know, speed-challenged. I won't say that they're slow, but, right? And she's having some mobility issues wherever she walks with a cane, She's just a cutest old lady, and nobody in the church could ever get away from her. Like, she hugged everybody by the time that the service was over. She watched the Bible channel on TV all the time. Uh, she had this Bible that was covered with duct tape. But the thing that got me the most that I loved about Helen is that my family had the opportunity to really connect with her because, like I said, she had a driver's license, but she wouldn't drive at night, something about bad eyesight or whatever. At 92, I said, no worries. Right? So Ash Wednesday, this is a year ago, 
I volunteer. I, I say, you're, you're going to come to the Ash Wednesday service, right? And it's at night or whatever. And, and she says, no, I can't drive, whatever. And I say, hey, my wife will come pick you up, right? Just volunteered my wife to do that without her even knowing. And, and she went and did it, and she pulled up in the driveway, and there was this giddy woman, so excited to be able to come to worship. I mean, this is who Helen was. And later I had a Bible study, and, and the only way I could get her to come is if I went and picked her up. And so week after week for, I don't know, probably like eight months, I got to know this woman. And she was amazing. Never met a stranger. I mean, one of those people that you just look at as super Christians, and, and I loved her. So when I got the email this week that she's with Jesus, I, I know that I should be happy for her, but it just it makes me a little sad. And so I want to ask you again in the question, this question, when is the last time that you had your heart broken? Right? And we have some, some friends up here that are going to play a song, and it's called Reason to Sing. Maybe you've had those moments when you feel like you've lost your reason to sing, when it seems like the world around you is just crashing down, when it just, it's really hard to find anything to be excited about. That is the moment that Nehemiah is in, and I wonder if Nehemiah sang a song. I wonder, I wonder if it wouldn't sound a little something like this. When the pieces seem to have shattered To gather off the floor And all that seems to matter Is that I don't feel you anymore No, I don't feel you anymore I need a reason to sing I need a reason to sing I need to know still holding the whole world in your hands. I need a reason to sing. And when I'm covered by fear, and I hate If this waiting lasts forever, I'm afraid I might let go. Oh, I'm afraid I might let go. Oh, I need a reason to sing. I need a reason to sing.
And this is the moment that Nehemiah is in. He's lost his reason to sing. And, and in those moments, we can do one of two things, right? We can just lay down and stop moving. I mean, we can just, we can just give up the fight and thank God, maybe, maybe you're not moving today. Maybe you're not really here. But the interesting thing is we look at the story of Nehemiah and it continues on even in that very, that very next verse. When Nehemiah has no other place to turn, he's in that moment of weakness. I mean, when his heart is broken and, and there's nothing that words can say. That's when he turns to God and, and this is what he prays. He prays, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him. And keep his commandments. I love this phrase. Let your ear be attentive, he says. And your eyes open. God, see me. That's what he's saying. Because your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, God. He's praying for the people of Israel. And I confess the sins of we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed you. I mean... When Nehemiah has no other place to turn, he turns to God. And I have to confess to you this morning, as your pastor, I know that it probably seems like, you know, the people that we put in charge of leading this church, like we have it all figured out and we know what's going on and we have these amazing spiritual lives. And I still struggle with this idea. I worry about stuff. I freak out. I, I just stay up all night sweating things out. And I just, I just think, gosh, I wish that I could give this to God. And Nehemiah does this so well in this moment. And I begin to realize something about prayer. That obviously, we believe that prayer is a great idea, but here's the thing. God's been teaching me lately about prayer, as Nehemiah shows us in here, is that a lot of times I think that I'm somehow, I, <clears throat> I think that I'm summoning God from somewhere else to come to my issue when really he's already there. And as we've been working on this and I've been thinking about this the last couple of weeks, I just say, hey, you know what? I'm a pastor. I felt like God literally said this to me through the stuff that I've been reading and the people talking to me. He said, hey, you're a pastor. Maybe you should pray a little more often. Good idea. Yeah. And so as I've started doing it, what I notice is as I begin to walk, and specifically this week I walked into this meeting that I wasn't really looking forward to. It was a tough conversation. Something clicked in my nervous system that said, you know what? God's got this. You've been praying about it. As I've been praying these last few weeks, it's not that I've been changing God and relocating Him to my place. God's been changing me. And as we go through this season of Lent, I would encourage you, I mean, it's popular and a lot of people give stuff up, but what do you need to take on, too? That spiritual disciplines can be from abstaining from things, but they can also be taking something else on, adding something to your life that draws it in richer. And the whole point of Lent, it isn't to do something, to put on our checklist, say, God, look what I did. Let's celebrate Easter. Look what I did, God. To get to the point and say, yes, I can have sugar now. Right? But it's so you can have some moments in your journey where you can look back and you say, God, I tried my hardest and it wasn't enough. And so, God, I need you to step in and to fill the gaps. And so you, with that mindset, you go into Good Friday and you go into Easter and you say, God, I am so glad that you were raised from the dead as you came back to lift me up, God. And he doesn't have to do that. So that's what God's been teaching me about prayer. And the story of Nehemiah, as you look through the entire thing, is littered with prayer. I mean, the guy believed in the stuff. And, 
And shouldn't we, as the body of Christ, be that same way? But he didn't just respond with prayer. I love that Nehemiah's heart was broken uh, to a point where he could, he could respond. It motivated him. God used that time, the pain in his life, to respond, and not just in prayer, but with action. He actually goes out and does something, right? And so it says the temple in Jerusalem, and again, I'm on 295 still. The temple of Jerusalem was completed, so that first building project was done, but the walls of the city had laid in ruins. A city without a wall? I mean, you might as well just invite the warriors and the pillagers right in to steal everything. And so in this moment, Nehemiah decides that he is going to lead the charge to rebuild the wall. And so they do that. And as we uh, look at that section below there, it talks about he takes this journey around the city and he goes to all of the different gates. And he looks around and he just goes around and he's all those different gates, he inspects the damage. He sees how bad it is and it's even worse than he thought. But because God's given him this vision in this heart, he decides to rebuild the wall. And the thing about this is I've been thinking about this this week too. It just got me thinking this question, what, what is it that we're building at Hope? Right? We say God is on the move. Well, why? Like, why, why do we come? Why do we do all of this stuff? And I think it's a really good question to ask because if we're going to put all this time and energy and these resources into building things, right? If we're going to put all this effort into crafting and fashioning something, first of all, we have to know what it is that we're building. And second of all, we have to know how we're going to go about building it. And if you need any more convincing why this is important, I want to show you this picture on this next slide, all right? You have to know what you're building, right? Otherwise, you're going to end up like these guys. You think their jobs lasted much longer after that? I don't know. Millions of dollars invested into building a bridge, and it doesn't, it doesn't even land. Do you think they just went for the quick fix and just kind of did a little diagonal paving there? No, probably not. All right? But it's important that we know what we're building here. I mean, if you were to go home and your neighbor knocks on your door and comes over and says, hey, I saw you went to church this morning. What, what's that all about? What would you say? What, what's, the first, what's the first words that would come out of your mouth? And, and we can have a hundred different answers to that, and they all can be good. But as a church, we've collectively decided, we've landed on some, some phrases, and it's our mission statement, it's in our vision statement. And I know we give you quizzes and make you do this stuff all the time, you know, just to make you feel, no, we don't do that to make you feel bad. And, but we've picked those reasons, those words for a reason, so we can stay focused, so we can stay on the path, so we know what we're building, and we don't end up with something that looks like these guys. All right? Now, I would never give you a quiz, right? Of course not. Well, okay, maybe we'll do another quiz, but I'll make it really easy to you today. All right? All I need from you is to fill in the three blanks. And I've even made it easier because I'm going to give you multiple choice. Who's a fan of multiple choice? Yes? Yeah. All right? So as a church, God has called us to be a blank, blank, and blank community filled with hope. Is it A, unique, spiritual, and focused? Or is it B, selfish, awful, and stubborn community filled with hope? All right. Is it C? Spirited, growing, and Christ-centered, or is it D, beautiful, awesome, and amazing? Huh? Turn to the person next to you and say, you are beautiful, awesome, and amazing. All right? And as much as we'd like to believe that this morning, and maybe that's part of it, but that's not our primary objective, okay? God has called us to be a spirited, a growing, and a Christ-centered community of hope. All right? 
And that's a good statement. I'm sure somebody put hours into making that work, you know, coming up with the right words for that. But I still think it's possible, even after that amazing quiz that I just gave you, you still could walk out of here saying, well, what, what does that mean? Right? Spirited, it, it means that we're alive. It means that when our heart breaks, we're the kind of people that respond to the needs. Growing, it means that we're not the same people a year from now that we are today. That because we've been walking with God, because we're spirited people, God has been transforming us. He's been helping us grow. And we don't just grow deeper in terms of, of our maturity in Christ, but we grow wider too. It means that we're growing, that God's continually taking more and more territory in the hearts of the people of this city. That more and more people are turning to Him. And if we're Christ-centered, it just, it just means that if it's important to God, then it's important to us. And what an amazing community that could be to, to be a part of. But here's the thing, and, and you may not know this this morning, we need you in this community. And I'm not just saying that because we need your offering dollars so someday we can become in a building and have our own space and do all that stuff. No, we need, this, we need you in this community because you have a voice. Do you, do you know that you have a voice that contributes to this music that we're making? Do you know that we need your passion? We need your talents. We need your hearts. We need, we need your story to be a part of this community. And if we don't have your voice, then not just the group of people in this room, but this city and this world, and I know it sounds cliche. I'm trying to avoid the cliches, but help, forgive me. I just can't do it. This world needs you because it needs you in this community that is growing, that is Christ-centered, and yes, is even spirited. And to make the point, I want to bring the band up here because we just don't get them up here enough, do we? Do we love our worship teams or what? Right, because we can make a great point about the fact that we need your voice. I can stand up here and tell you that. Maybe you already know the contribution that you make, but maybe some of you are holding back. We're missing out if we don't have your voice, if you're, your instrument that you play in this band, this crazy band called Lutheran Church of Hope, Des Moines. And I invited the band up here because I just wanted to give them a taste of what it's like if some of the key parts of the band, if all the voices aren't represented, then let's, let's just see what happens. Lifted up, he defeated the grave, raised to life. So as we were talking about this before, you know, we kind of have our plans going to it. You never know what's going to happen. And I was like, you guys, just make it glorious. Just start playing and then just, you know, have the voice drop out, right? Kim disappeared. It, there's something missing. She's kind of got a beautiful voice, I would say. Right? And then the, drum, the drums come out and we lose our, our, uh, our beat that holds us together, the, the thing that we're marching to. And then I said, you guys, you're going to play this glorious tune. And then I, I know when the drums drop out, because I'm a drummer and everything revolves around the drums, you know, you're just going to crash and burn. But we have such talented musicians here that they still could have kept going, right? Let's give them another round of applause. 
But you get the idea, right? We all have a voice. We all have an instrument that we play in here. And we absolutely, we absolutely need you because we are a spirited, growing, and Christ-centered community. That is what we're building here. And it's important to know what we're building because that is who we are. And we're not just building a community, but we're building a community that when our heart breaks for things, that we respond. So a while ago, uh, our missions team was, was praying about what it is we, during Lent, you know, we do these Lent campaigns and uh, to, to, as part of our mission to reach out and uh, to be this community. And we started talking about, well, what is it that we can do? What is it we should do? Last year we did churches. Before that, they've done wells. And finally, someone in the committee came across something that broke their heart. Did you know that for $10... $10, you cannot just change someone's life, but you literally can save someone's life. That's 200 pop cans if you collect them and take them back, right? 200 pop cans. I mean, I, you could probably scrap that together if you went around and just picked up the, the stuff that we throw out of our cars or whatever, right? Two Big Macs, right? A really nice extra value meal at McDonald's or whatever. $10, you can change a life, because in Africa, the, one of the leading killers right now is this idea of malaria, this disease. 16,000 kids a day. Let me just say that again. 16,000 kids. Not, it's even higher than that, people. 16,000 kids a day are dying right now because of malaria. And I don't say that to make anybody feel guilty or, or sad, but I say that because I know that we are a community that when our heart breaks, we do something about it. And so that's what we're doing. We're doing this thing. It's called Nets of Hope. And they put together a little commercial for us to show you about it. So let's take a look. $10 can buy a box of cereal and milk, an album off iTunes, two lattes, or even a book. $10 can also save a life. Malaria is a pervasive disease in sub-Saharan Africa, killing one person every 60 seconds. Each day, 1,500 children die. We can change that. For Lent this year, we are delivering nets of hope to fight against malaria. $10 provides a family with an insecticide-treated mosquito net, the delivery and training on use. Join us and save a life. Hi, I'm Mark Hofschneider, and I'm the Director of Missions. I am so excited about this year's project. Please prayerfully consider how you and your family may get involved with Nets of Hope. So there it is. $10 can change a life. That goes towards a net. It goes towards medicine. It goes towards the trainer, the, the teacher person that's going to instruct people how to do this. We have people that have been over in Africa on some of our mission trips, and they're just talking about whole families sleeping under these nets, and it's literally saving their lives. Did you know that malaria was eradicated in the United States 1951? It was here, but we don't have to worry about it anymore. And so that's why we as Hope, as a, as a spirited, growing, Christ-centered community, we're joining in with all the other Lutheran churches in the world. We're not the only ones doing this. Hundreds of churches coming together to try and put this thing behind us. And if you're interested in being a part of it, there's a bucket back there. It'll be there the next few weeks up till Easter you can drop your money in there. You can give online. If you uh, participate, in, we'll give you a, a circle for every $10 that we, uh, that we raise, and you can put it on our poster. So we've got something to look at at the difference that we're making because we are a community that makes a difference because God is building us into a community 
where lives are changed. And it's a great project. It's just another step on our journey. And Nehemiah, at the same time, was, was going through his journey as well. And as the walls get built in 52 days, the nations, the neighbors around him, they can't stand this idea that Israel is back up and rising, that God has brought them back. It literally says in there that they lost their confidence, these other nations did, because it was so visible about what God has done in their midst. They were terrified of Israel because God was on their side. But as this journey continues and Nehemiah gets all of the work done, there's some things that happen, including a meeting that the Israelites themselves, these people that have been wandering spiritually off the path for a long time. I mean, it's been a long preaching series through the Old Testament. They call a meeting and they say, hey, we want to renew our covenant with God. We want to make sure that we're right with God. And Nehemiah sees this happening and he realizes that God's not just building a temple. God's not just rebuilding these walls, but God is rebuilding his relationship with his people so that they can go out and change the entire world. And so as they do that, Ezra the priest stands up and he shares, and it says he brought the law before the assembly, which is made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate. And in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand, all of the people listened attentively to the book of the law. These people, and it's the people's idea. It's not the prophets, the people that God has sent to babysit these people. They think of it on their own. And do you know that it's been 140 years since this group of people has done this? Do you think maybe this exile, this trip that they didn't see coming to Babylon that destroyed their entire city, do you think maybe it taught them a little something about, about being in a relationship with God? God is on the move back in and amongst the people again, and not just so that they can live these happy spiritual lives, but so that the whole world can be blessed through them. And he opens the book and he reads the law, and they renew their promises to God, and you think... You think, this is it, you know, we're going to close the Old Testament on a high note and it's just awesome. And then you go to the very next book, the final book of the Old Testament, which is Malachi, and you see, yet again, they're struggling one last time, I'm sure, just for kicks. They're struggling with the same issue and fundamentally it comes down to it, they do not trust God, right? They don't trust God with their money, they don't trust God with their stuff, they don't trust God with their marriages, And so God sends this prophet Malachi and he says two things, a word of challenge. He says the tough stuff, but he also offers this blessing. And he says, I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. And I'm reading on the top of page 303. This is Malachi chapter 3. But you ask, how do you return? These people say they want to come back to God, but but then they, they ask, how do they do that? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole, this is one of my favorite verses in all of scripture, because listen to what God says, even in the midst of their lack of trust for him. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. In other words, trust God that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. And normally it's not a good idea to test God. 
But God, in this specific instance, when it comes to trusting him, he says, test me in this and see that I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. As we close the Old Testament, as we move beyond this chapter and God speaks to these people and he says, test me in this, trust me, worship me, just come back to me, please. And I will pour out so much blessing that you won't even know it. God isn't going to speak again for 400 years as we make the jump from the Old to the New Testament. But I'll tell you what, when God speaks again, it's powerful. It's powerful. And so we close this chapter with God asking the people to trust him so that the blessing can be poured out. And by doing so, by God sending his word and sending the prophets as this nation is rebuilt, they find again that they've been given their reason to sing. They've been given a glorious, glorious reason to sing. And as I think about that again, I come back to my friend Helen. You know what I love most about Helen? It wasn't just the hugs, right? The hugs, there were lots of hugs, let me tell you. It wasn't just the conversation or the way that she read her Bible, but it was the way that Helen worship God. You don't understand. This was a traditional Lutheran church with pews and an organ, right? Reading out of the hymnals. How many people do you know that read out of a hymnal and sing a hymn and they have a hand in the air because they have no other way to express to God how overjoyed they are that they are in his presence, right? That was Helen leaning on her cane, trying to read her book and worshiping God in every last breath. She went to all of the church services. That's how excited she was there. And when I look at Helen's life, I see somebody that has an incredible reason to sing. And what I want you to know, church, this morning, is that you, no matter what's going on, what circumstances you find yourself in, you have been given an incredible reason to sing. And when that, when that clicks inside of us, it's our chance to throw up the white flag and to say, God, we surrender to you. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and let's pray.